you very much, Kyler. Hey, can I have like a stool or something for um, my coffee? Because you, I mean, you expect me to preach it without coffee. That's a hostile work environment. I'll leave. I'll do it. See? You see? I'm that mad. I'm throwing things. I'm throwing my phone. Hey, I got to tell you something while she's getting that up there. Thank you so much. We recognized Kyler last week. We are in the presence of greatness this morning. I want to recognize the campus pastor over at our River Islands campus. The beauty right here in the second row has been over there. She and her hubby there with her, Tasha and Michael, lead our River Islands campus, which is going because of what God is doing right now. It doesn't even officially launch until uh, next year, but they have been going and growing up out there. And Tasha. not only did she um, turn 25 this last week, but she also received confirmation that she made it through all the hoops necessary to become a licensed minister in the Assemblies of God. So she's kicking butt and taking names, and we are so proud of her and so proud of the team that God has here this morning. Like Kyler mentioned, Pastor Troy, our lead pastor, is sick this morning. Um, it is not uh, the corona. Praise God. He already dealt with that earlier this year, but if you know Pastor Troy, you know he gets at least once a year, he gets a case of bronchitis, no matter how good a care he takes of himself. Um, and so that happened. And so he's home resting so it doesn't get worse. Thank you very much. I guess I'll stay. Thank you. Um, and so please pray for him, but they're good. He has everything that he needs and, and he'll be just fine. So I'm with you this morning. My name is Trin. I'm your uh, executive pastor over all the campuses and I'm also the Lathrop campus pastor here at the New Life Network. And I'm really, really grateful that you're here this morning. Uh, whether you are a volunteer uh, that serves at the River Island campus, and so this is the campus that you attend, uh, whether you're here at the Lathrop campus because this is where you call home, whether you're joining us online, I'm thankful that you are part of what God's doing here. And one neat thing that's happening, uh, one of the biggest events that happens, uh, biggest offerings that we take all year happens next week. Next Sunday is our Miracle Offering Sunday. And this is an event. This happens every November at New Life Church. What we do is we say, God, beyond our regular tithes, beyond the offerings that you call us to give throughout the year, Father, what is the biggest, best gift that we can give here at the end of the year when most people are thinking, kind of consumer mentality during the holidays when a lot of people are thinking, how am I going to end the year well for me or uh, forget it, I'll just end the year badly and I'll figure it out next year. We are coming together as followers of Christ and saying, God, what is the biggest gift that I can give? Because you are so good, what is the most sacrificial amount that I can give, that my family can give to you? And the reason we, we do that in mid-November is so that we can stop, uh, end the year well, uh, end the year with all you know our budget completed and everything, and then start the next year ahead and ready to go and ready for anything that the world may throw at us. Uh, we believe that's being good stewards of, of our church. And so we're asking you this week to pray hard about what God has called you to give. And I want to challenge those of you that have been on the journey with us for a while that it, this can become a habit. We're a few years in now, and so you might have even, like my husband and I do, you might have even done your own personal family budget back in January or before the year began and said, this is the amount that we're going to give, and that's wonderful. That's being a good steward. That's good planning. But check in with God and see if he might not be challenging you to go above and beyond that. Because there is no way that you can outgive God. 
and then come to your gathering next week ready and prepared to give that gift. And we're going to see what God is going to do. We're believing for something uh, at or even beyond $60,000 to come in to be able to uh, end the year well and start next year well. And guys, whatever your portion of that is, God will bless you for that. So next Sunday, Miracle Offering, I don't want you to forget that, but we're going to get into the Word this morning. I am preaching a word that Pastor Troy uh, gave, and so I want to let you know that these are his insights that have prayerfully and and, uh, generously been handed over to me because we're in a five-week series called take a stand. Take a stand. And we're in the fifth week of five weeks. So I want to remind you a little bit about what we've been talking about. No matter what campus you've been in, we did five weeks. So there are five stories in the book of Daniel. That first week we talked about stand out. Take a stand. How do you stand out? The next week we talked about standing up. Many of you took a challenge that week. How, how are we going to stand up? So we said from the book of Daniel, God, we stand out, we stand up. And then as Christians, how do we stand strong? How do we stand strong? And then last week, last week was challenging. We talked about standing in faith. We're going to stand in faith. Stand out, stand up, stand strong, and stand in faith. And now we're here in week five, and we are talking about one final story in the book of Daniel, and we're going to talk about standing firm. Standing firm. How many of you feel like maybe the foundation's not super firm where our country is concerned right now? I'm not talking about individual personalities or parties. I'm talking about the unrest in the entire nation right now as we're uncertain about our future, uncertain about who we can trust, uncertain about what we're going to do and what's going to happen in the coming year. How many of you would say that foundationally there's not a whole lot of firmness in our country right now? But you know what? We are not our country. I still believe we live in the greatest country in the world. I do believe that I am blessed to live in this country, but I am not my country first. I am my God first. I am my my Savior first. I am a Christian first and foremost. And that means when all other ground, the old song says, is sinking sand, I stand firm on the foundation that is Jesus Christ. So this morning, we're going to talk about how we stand firm in a world that might not have a firm foundation to stand on. So what do you do when you're facing a trial? What do you do when you're in the middle of a fire? 1 Peter 1.7. The uh, verses are going to be on the screen this morning. I'm using, actually using my husband's Bible. I found out he stole mine, so that's rude. I think there's something in there about that. Um, <laughs> 1 Peter 1.7. If you've got your Bible, your Bible and your device, I want you to turn there, but they'll also be on the screen. I'm reading from the New International Version this morning. 1 Peter 1.7 says this. It says, these have come, these are trials, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. May result in praise, 
glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. What happens when you're in the middle of a fire? They show the quality and the depth of your faith. They show that your faith is genuine. The fire shows that your faith is genuine. You see, and this is what I want you to get today, a faith that is tested is a faith that can be trusted. A faith that is tested is a faith that can be trusted. I'm going to prove that to you today uh, through a story about the lives of three teenage boys named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those are mouthfuls. If you were of the VeggieTales generation, <laughs> then you know that the uh, accepted nicknames for these guys are Rack Shack and Benny. Rack Shack and Benny, and that's what I'm using this morning because I'm not going to say those names over and over again. Uh, we talked early in this series about, uh, kind of to set the stage for you, about King Nebuchadnezzar was the king uh, of this um, nation that they were in at this time, this nation that had taken the Israelites, God's people, captive, and they were scattered throughout this nation. So they had been conquered, and they were subject to this king, Nebuchadnezzar, and he was evil. I'm not talking about like they didn't like him, they didn't get along with him. He was evil. He was under the influence of the principalities and the darkness of this world. He was evil. And to that point, at one time, he decided to create a giant statue of himself and tell everyone in the kingdom, you need to bow down and worship this gold statue. It was 90 feet tall, 30 yards straight up in the air. It was nine feet wide. It was a gigantic statue statue. King Nebuchadnezzar said, every government leader, every advisor, every judge, I'm going to have you come to this dedication, this huge ceremony that I'm throwing, and everybody in the nation is going to bow down and worship this likeness of me. And so the story that we're looking at today is in Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. Again, it'll be on the screen, but I want you to read along with me today as we look at Daniel chapter 3. <clears throat> And we're starting in verse 4. We're going to look at a few verses here. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, Nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. This is evil. They had already made the decision that anybody that doesn't do this is going to be thrown in the fire. So they expected some pushback, and they had already decided this is the hill that we're going to die on. You will worship this image. You will worship this king. And if you keep going uh, in chapter 3 and verse 12, you're going to see that everyone does. That the threat is enough that everyone does. Everyone bows down and does what they're supposed to do, worships this statue, except for three teenage boys, Rakshak and Benny, who we know, scholars believe, were about 14 or 15 years old. Three teenage boys who continued to stand firm even when there was a trial that could cause them to be thrown in the fire because a faith that is tested is a faith that can be trusted. These are three boys that are looking at a pretty bad day. They're looking at a season of trial. They are literally facing fire. And there are some qualities that occur within our faith when we're going through the fire. 
When we go through the fire, there are three qualities of faith that come to the surface as we navigate through the bad days, through the trials, through the fires of life. As we go through the rough stuff in life, there are three qualities of faith that I want you to really cling to this morning. The first one is this. Faith obeys God instead of following man. Faith obeys God instead of following man. Everyone is bowing and three boys are standing. They stuck out like a sore thumb. Everyone is bowing down, and they are simply standing. In verse 16, it says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Rakshak and Benny, replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, listen to this, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this manner. Ooh! Can you imagine, like, can you imagine having a front row seat to this? Like, you've got the most powerful king in the world. He's, he's standing in front of a 90-foot statue of himself. So that's like his hype man behind him. Everybody's bowing down to this guy. And he's like, what's up, these three little, little twerps here? And they're like, we don't need to defend ourselves to you. Like, he was probably like, you know, like that. So cocky. So they're staring him down and they know they're going to die because the, the gauntlet has already been thrown. The announcement was already made. You will go into the fire if you don't bow down. And they're saying, you know what? We don't have to give you an answer because this isn't between us and you. This is between us and God. I want you to listen to this this morning. I want you to hear me. They didn't have to pray about it. They didn't have to think about it. They didn't have to talk to God about it. They didn't have to fast about it. They didn't have to post a personal poll on Facebook to ask what people think that they should be doing. Okay? They had made a predetermined decision that they were going to serve God and God alone, and they were going to obey him no matter what. No matter what the circumstances were, they were going to do what God had told him to do. Faith obeys God instead of following man. But I want you to think about, because we know this story, like we've heard this story. Even if you didn't grow up with the Bible, a lot of people are familiar with this story. And so we know what happens. And so we kind of take the drama out of it, right? If you've seen the movie so many times, the drama really isn't there. The expectation isn't there. We know what's going to happen. But I want you to think about the thoughts that could have been rolling through their head as they could have rationalized it really well. They could have said, all right, pretend. We're just going to, we're going to pretend that we're worshiping this statue and, and, and outside we'll be like, yes, we worship the statue, but inside we'll be like, nothing else, nothing else will do, you know, and nobody will ever know. Right? They could have rationalized that. We're just going to fake it. Or they could have said, you know what? I'm just going to do it. I'm going to worship the idol because that's what's going on right now. That's what everybody's doing. That's what I've been ordered to do. I'm going to go ahead and do it. It's going to make me feel guilty. But then, and, and you've probably never done this before, but then I'll wake up tomorrow and I'll ask God to forgive me. Or, or they could have done this. If this is the, this is the thinker. You, we've all got a friend like this. It's not you. It's not me. It's just our friend. If I don't, if I don't bow down, I'm going to die. And if I'm dead, who will be here left to tell these other people about God? So really, it's the right thing for me to do. I must bow down. I'm just going to compromise this one time. They didn't do that. They had a predetermined plan. 
And that predetermined plan before any of this ever started was we will honor and obey God. We will not do what everyone else is doing. We will do what God has called me to do. Pastor Troy talked in week one about a predetermined plan. In fact, for those of you that were here and participating, he challenged us to write down our predetermined plan, our predetermined decision. What is that one thing that God is calling us to do that we will do no matter what? And I bet if you did that, if you took that challenge, I bet you have been attacked this month in that area. If your predetermined decision was, I will love my husband no matter how he acts, I bet he acted a fool this month. If your predetermined decision was, I will be consistent in disciplining my children and I will make sure that they are held accountable for their actions, those little twerps were something else this month, were they not? I didn't even say that, and my kid, well, anyway, I digress. If you said, God, I'm, I'm not going to lie, no matter what, I have chosen that I will tell the truth. I bet at work, I bet in your relationship, I bet there was something that felt like it might actually be a good lie. I bet you were attacked in that area. Because here's, here's the deal. Um, if you are a follower of Christ and you're really trying to follow God's call in your life, Satan, who is your spiritual enemy, and whether you want to engage with him or not, he is engaging with you. He is going to give you ample opportunity in the world, even today, to compromise what you know to be true. Don't go there. Don't listen. Don't get distracted. Because faith always obeys God instead of following man. And number two, faith obeys in spite of what it sees. Faith obeys in spite of what it sees. Look at Daniel 3, 17. So we're still in, this is the same story, but jump down to verse 17. This is Rakshak and Benny talking to King Nebi. And they're saying, if we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. There's a big difference between God being able to do something in your life and God being willing to do something in your life. No matter what the circumstances look like, I want you to know this today. We believe that God is able to intervene in your circumstances, and we believe that God is willing to intervene in your circumstances. We believe that he's able to heal, and we believe that he's willing to heal. We believe that he's able to provide, and we believe that he's willing to provide. We believe that he is an able and a willing God. Now, what he actually does... What we see, that's up to him. But he's called us to pray and be believers and believe the prayer of faith. So maybe you're looking at a certain, maybe you're looking at a, a really low checking account. Uh, maybe you're looking at a low balance and a lot of bills and a lot of overdue calls. And, and what are you going to do? Well, you're going to sell your boat. You're going to get a job, any job, no matter what. You're going to dig yourself out of the pit that you've gotten yourself into. But you are going to believe with everything in you that my God is able and he is willing to provide for me. He's Jehovah Jireh. He's my provider. We're going to believe. We're going to do the work and we're going to believe that God's going to come through. You have a relationship that's fallen apart. 
You feel unloved, you feel unheard, you feel unable to fix anything. No matter what you try to do, it is always ruined. Your faith has to grow to meet the situation. You say, God, I believe you are able to restore this relationship, and I believe that you are willing to restore this relationship. So I'm going to keep applying your principles to this relationship. Even if it doesn't look good, I'm going to keep doing what I need to do, and I'm going to believe you for the rest. Troy, it's, it's impossible. I said Troy, because that was in the notes. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> I really don't know how to come back from this, so I'm just going to make it really awkward, you guys. Trin? <sighs> All right. It's impossible for you to follow the notes. God is not confined to the things that you are confined to. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He can do exceedingly and abundantly more than we could even ask him. That's what the scripture says. Not exceedingly and abundantly more than we could imagine, but even exceedingly and abundantly more than it would occur to us to ask him about. That's what he can do. He's so much bigger than we give him credit for because we're stuck in our humanness. We're stuck in our stupidity. We're stuck in believing that God is somehow going to mess up the same way that we do. But he's not going to because he's God and you're not. So the hardest question of all is this. What if God doesn't do what you're believing him to do? What if you're believing for God to heal somebody that you love and that person dies? What if you're believing that God's going to deliver you from the depression and then it stays, that thorn in your flesh? What, what if you're believing that God's going to bring your child back, that wayward child, and then they seem to go deeper into rebellion and into addiction? What if, what if you're believing that God's going to provide for you and then that eviction notice comes? What are you going to do then? What are you going to do when it doesn't look the way that you ask God to make it look? Number three, faithful obedience is our responsibility. The outcome is God's. Faithful obedience is our responsibility. The outcome is God's responsibility. Living out what God has called you, the life that he is giving you to live, that's your job. And that's where your job ends. You do the work, but you can't manipulate the outcome. The outcome belongs to God. Our job is to be obedient, to be faithful, and to watch him do what he does. Daniel 3, 18. Okay, jump down to verse 18. This is the same story. So they had just said, uh, the God we serve is able to, do, is able to deliver us, and he's willing to deliver us. But then it says in verse 18, but even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Even if he doesn't do the thing that we know he is able and willing to do, this God that loves us so much, even if he lets us perish, we will not serve your gods or worship you. We won't do it because that's not what's right. That's not what God's called us to do. We're going to do the right thing and we're going to trust God with the outcome. I'm telling you, we're familiar with this story. One of the dangers of being a Christian and walking with God and hearing the scriptures for a long time is we start to believe that the people in scriptures expected the outcome the way that we do. 
I've heard this story so many times. I've seen it told so many times. And so you start to think like they knew. They knew what was going to happen. They were just going to wander in there and they weren't going to get burned up. Spoiler, sorry, they don't burn up, okay? But they didn't know that. They didn't know the outcome. They didn't know what was going to happen. Nobody had ever walked in a furnace before and they knew they were going into the furnace. This wasn't, listen to me, this couldn't have been the first time that this punishment has been used because they, they had it ready. They had, they had like a people burning furnace ready to go. You don't just have one of those lying around. So people had been burned up before. They knew what it looked like. They were expecting that that's what the king was going to try and do to them. They didn't know what it was going to look like, but they decided that no matter what, they believed in the heart of God for them and they were believing him for whatever deliverance looked like. And so what does the king do? Well, he let him go. He said, well, I really admire your courage. And he, no, he got so mad. He was unhinged. This guy was mad. He said, I want the furnace to be stoked seven times hotter than normal. And then I want soldiers to come and bind their hands up and throw them into the furnace. They're dead. Like they're going to die. And, and so all this happens. Uh, does that sound a little bit like the world? You ever stood up for what you believed is right? You ever taken a stand? You ever in your workplace or with your unsafe family members or, or heaven forbid on Facebook, you ever taken a stand for what is really right according to the word of God? The world becomes unhinged. They can't handle it. You're not being tolerant of me. You're not being inclusive. Now there's nothing wrong with those ideas, but they are misused by the enemy and by our culture today. It does not matter how it makes them feel. We love them, but we love them too much to let them sit in their sin, to let them be deceived by the enemy of this world. When you stand up for the right things, the world is not going to like it, and there will be consequences, but we choose to do it anyway. The furnace is so hot, the Bible actually says that the soldiers that were stoking the fire died just from being close to it, just from following these order, orders. They weren't in the furnace, they were outside of it, and they were dying. But then there's God. I want you to look at uh, Daniel chapter 3, verses 24 and 25. See, he said, throw them in. 20, 23, 24, 25. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't these three men that we tied up and, or weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? One, two, three. They replied, certainly your majesty. Just kissing it. Anyway, it doesn't matter. They, they said, certainly your majesty. Like nobody had eyes and could see what was going on. So the king has to be the one to say, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Well, right out of his mouth. Who was the fourth man? The fourth man was the son of God himself. The fourth man in the fire was Jesus Christ. God's going to show you his power throughout your life. He's going to show you in all different ways. He's going to show you in the mundane, in the little moments of life. If you're paying attention, if you're listening, he's going to show you in the beautiful things, in the children born and in the miracles that occur. He's going to show you himself in all kinds of things in all different ways. But, but 
you will really know his presence, the tangible reality of the presence of Jesus Christ best when you are in the fire. The Bible says that they were unharmed. It says that they were unburned. It says that their clothes didn't burn up. But there's something that I really want you to see in the text this morning. The Bible says that when they were thrown into the fire, they were bound. But then it says the king said they were unbound. I want you to see that the fire didn't burn them. It didn't burn their clothes, but it did burn the thing that bound them up. The fire burned the thing that bound them up. Why does this matter? Because some of you are facing a fire right now. You're about to be thrown into the fire and you're begging God to deliver you from the fire, to not make you fall in there. You've been bound up. You've been uh, taken hostage by these soldiers, by whatever circumstances of life, and you're about to fall into the fire, and you're going, God, please, please don't let this happen. Please make this trial end. Please come to my rescue. Please take it away. And I just want you to consider that maybe the very thing that God, that you want God to remove from you, is the mechanism that God wants to use to set you free. That the thing that you are asking God to remove from you is the thing that he is going to use to make all the difference in your life. Don't minimize what God can do in the circumstances that hurt. God uses all things to work together for the good of those that love him. I celebrated my birthday this week, my, my 29th birthday, and I, thank you. I, uh, uh, by the way, I don't, I don't see him in here this morning, but I did want to recognize uh, my, my birthday buddy, Larry, is uh, turning, I believe, 67 tomorrow. He's one of the elders in our church. Wish him a happy birthday if you see him. Happy birthday, Larry. We love you. I don't feel like 29 is very old, but uh, I have kids that tell me that it's old. The youth in this church are just mean to me. No, I'm just kidding. But they make me feel like real out of touch, real irrelevant. I work with our staff, which is mostly younger than me, and they just make me sound ancient. And so I was sitting reflecting during my birthday going, God, I've lived a whole lot of life according to them. <laughs> I was thinking about all the, the circumstances, because I'm also about at the turn of a of a decade, right? My first adult decade was my 20s. And so I'm reflecting back at what God has done, and a, and a major part of that is, is my husband. <laughs> uh, Pastor Brian is, is my husband. Those of you that call the online campus your home, he's your pastor. I love my husband. We've been together my whole adult life. We met in college. We both agree that's the only good thing that came out of college. We paid a lot of money for that. Um, in fact, we, this summer we hit a, a major milestone in our lives. We paid off all of our personal debt. Uh, we, thank you. Wow, thank you. Uh, including our student loans and our cars and everything. And, and, uh, and so now I'm just looking forward to the next time someone goes, you've got a really nice husband. Because I'm going to be like, thanks, he's paid off. Free and clear, all mine. We were babies when we met. We were so young, and, and I don't mean to, you always think that you were a baby when you look back, but we met when I was 18. We got engaged when I was 19, which felt like forever. And then we got married when I was 20 and a half, almost. We were so, I don't know why anybody let us do that. 
Weddings of 20-year-olds are so funny if you've ever been to like a wedding where a couple of 20-year-olds get married because they're like, we've been through so much together. This was us, like slideshows of a, a thousand pictures from the last 12 months. We've been through so much together. We know we can make it through anything, right? No, you don't know, you don't, <laughs> sit down. We didn't know anything. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying we've got it figured out now, but we've lived a lot of life in the last 10 years. I don't know. No, I do know. I think if we had known what we were getting ourselves into, we wouldn't have done it. I'm just being really real with you. I think if we had known who we were getting ourselves into, we both would have run like the opposite direction as fast as we could. By the way, sometimes that's the power of youth. I don't, that's a superpower you have if you're young. And, and young is relative, right? Um, anybody can feel old at any age and anybody can feel young at any age. But if you're like on the younger side, the Bible says don't let anybody look down on you because you're young. If you're young in the faith, if you're young in life, if you're young in your career, that's the superpower that you have. It's called naivety. You don't know what you don't know. And that's great because you don't know that you can't do it. You're gonna hit that wall at 100 miles an hour, baby, but you're gonna look good doing it. And that's what Rack Shack and Betty had, right? They were 14, 15 years old. They had no concept of what they were doing, no uh, long-term mindset. You just don't. That's a superpower. Harness that. So we didn't know. We were like, we're just gonna do it. We're gonna get married. We've known each other for a while. If we had really known how hard it was gonna be, if we had really known how much one person could hurt you, if we had really known who the other person was, if we had really had any realistic grasp, baby, on who we were and the absolute messes that we were, oh, we weren't anything. And I don't, I don't think we would have gone through it. And it's not like we've been married that long. We've got decades to go. I have a feeling there's going to be more we figure out in the years that come. But when I look at how much life we've lived in the eight years that we've been married, in the, the 10 years that we've been together, how much we've learned, how much we've forgiven, how much we've overcome, how many kids we have had. Somebody should have told me three was a lot. It's just crazy that it's only been 10 years. Because I was sitting there reflecting on my birthday and, and thinking about all the people that reached out to me and it was just beautiful. And I realized there's a lot of people that I've known longer than Brian. But there is nobody that I know better than Brian. There's a lot of people that have known me longer than Brian, but there's nobody nobody that knows me better than Brian. I, I would say even my sisters who have known my entire life, my parents who raised me, nobody knows me better than Brian because of the depth of experiences that we have had together over these last years. You know, sometimes we put a lot of emphasis on the length of our relationships. And, and that's a metric, it's worth celebrating. It is beautiful when you reach that anniversary, when you reach that milestone together, when you've been friends for so long or, or when you've been married for so long. But we put a lot of emphasis on that. And it's not all about the time served in a relationship. It's not always about the quantity of time that you've spent together. You really have to consider the quality of time in a relationship. 
Brian is my closest relationship besides Jesus Christ. And it's not because I've known him the longest. It's because the depth of what we've been through together. When we face something difficult, Brian and I have this library of experiences to look back on and go, well, we've gotten through that. So certainly we can get through this. I forgave you through that. I can forgive you through this. I, I trusted you through that. I can trust you through this. We have those, those points, those uh, reference points in our history that give us the strength that we need to go through the big things now. I would submit to you that for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the furnace was a defining moment, a reference point in their relationship with God. That for the rest of their lives, they would look back and go, well, we got through the furnace, so we can get through this. We made it through that. So I believe that God is going to get me through this. In Daniel 3:28. So we're getting close to the end here. Verse 28 says then Nebuchadnezzar said praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any God except their own God. When God shows up in your hurt, the world will see it because they're watching. And God is going to be glorified in that situation. And believe it or not, our comfort is not the end result. It's not the end goal. The end goal is that God would be glorified in our lives. And when we choose, when we make a predetermined decision to follow the will of God, and no matter what life throws at us, we remain faithful to the will of God, people are going to see, and they're going to glorify God. Whether you ever have the privilege to hear it or not, they're going to say, praise be to his God. Praise be to her God. Praise be to the God of Brian, who brought him out of addiction and into his marvelous light. Praise be to the God of Norma and Michael, who brought them through so much loss and who has shown himself faithful in their lives. Praise be, praise be, praise be to the God of Keeley who brought her out of a horrific childhood and made her a woman of faith who blesses the people around her. Praise be to your God. Praise be to your God. That's what happens when you remain faithful. When you stand in the middle of the battle, when you stand firm, people look and they see and they will honor God because a faith that's tested is a faith that can be trusted. And I just want to give you one more scripture today that's just been on my heart all week long. It's not going to be on the screen. I just want you to hear me. This week in the online campus, Pastor Brian started going through the book of James. And I've read this book so many times, but I just tripped over the first part of this book, specifically over verse three. But I want to read this to you starting in verse two. It says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. That's you and me. Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. Listen to this. Because you know that the testing of your faith 
produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. What happens to you gives you the opportunity to have perseverance produced in your life. Do you know why you would need that? Because the next time it's going to be harder to persevere. And the time after that, it's going to be even harder than that. And the time after that, it's going to be even harder than that. But if you've been working those muscles out, if you've been strengthening your faith over time, if you've been, this is the key word, letting perseverance finish its work, you'll be mature. You'll be complete. You won't be lacking anything. You'll face bigger and hotter fires all the time and you won't be afraid, not because you're great, but because God is doing his work in you. He's a great God and he's bringing that maturity about in your life. Would you close your eyes for me this morning? There's nothing magical about everybody closing their eyes, but rather this is an opportunity for you to consider yourself. So many of us are facing trials. Some are big, some are subtle, but they're all significant to you. And I want you to know this morning that whether uh, the people around you would acknowledge how hard your struggle is or not, God does. If you've ever been told to calm down or it's not that hard, or you've ever tried to express your disappointment or your hurt to somebody else and they've told you that what you're going through doesn't compare to what they're going through, I want you to know that God says, I see you. I see how this is affecting you. I see how it hurts. And because it matters to you, it matters to me. But I wonder how many of us after hearing this word from God would have the courage to say, God, I'm stopping. I'm gonna stop asking you to deliver me from the trial. I'm gonna ask you to deliver me through the trial. I'm gonna stop asking you to get me out of it, to, to take it away. And I'm gonna start asking you to deliver me through it, to be with me during the hurt, to form the character in me that you want to form, to complete your work in me so that I can be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I'm asking you, God, as I walk through these sufferings that are all a part of being your follower, I'm asking you to walk with me, God. And so I just wonder this morning, the challenge today is very simple. With your eyes closed, considering yourself considering your trials, considering what, what is going on in you, how many of you would have the courage to say, God, don't deliver me from it, deliver me through it, and form your faith and your character in me? How many of you would say that this morning? Lift your hand with no eyes looking around. How many of you say, God, don't deliver me from it, deliver me through it? Praise God. Let me pray for you this morning. God, thank you for the faith of your people. Thank you, God, that you give us the faith and then you grow it in us. Thank you, Father God, that you knew what was going to happen before it happened and you still called us to faithfulness. We ask that you would grow our faith beyond where it is now. 
in the midst of our hurts, in the midst of our struggles, God, remind us that you're here, you're good, and you haven't changed. You're still the God that heals, the God that provides, the God that transforms, the God that brings life where there is death and light where there is darkness. You're still the God that raises the dead and brings life. And so we sit in our hurt and our struggle, and instead of asking you why, instead of asking you to get us out of it, God, this morning we have the faith to ask you to get us through it and to be glorified in it. God, would you be a lamp into our feet and a light into our path? Would you show us the next steps? Because we know, God, that we need to do the work, that we need to do what you've called us to do. But God, that the outcome is your responsibility. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to remind you this morning, whether you're here in the building or you're you're online, that uh, trials and problems and issues and hurt and pain are universal. They're promised to us as believers, but even if you're not a believer in Jesus, even if you haven't committed your whole entire life to Him, life just sucks sometimes. But if you're sitting with that and you're hearing this message and you've listened this long, I would dare say that maybe you're wondering if it would suck just a little less if you had someone walking with you through the trial. And here's what I want you to know this morning. There is one God, one Savior of mankind. He created you and everything around you. He loves you. He is for you. He has been pursuing you with an everlasting love. And He's calling you to Himself. There is no uh, need that you have that He is not the answer to. There is no problem that you have that He cannot reach into and solve. And that God wants you. So this morning, if you want the God of the universe to walk with you through these trials and not just to walk with you through them but to be the purpose behind why you're living them then all you need to do is say yes to Jesus and so this morning if that's you I just want to ask you to say a very simple prayer to accept the love of Jesus into your life and no looking back from here on out, there's a reason for your trials and there's love and there's help in the midst of the fire. If that's you, just say, God, forgive me of my sins. Make me new. I believe in you. I believe that you sent your son for me and I believe that you are for me. So have your way in me and fill me up with your spirit. I will serve you, I will follow you for all my days. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, I'm so grateful that you would allow me to speak into your life today. But it's not for me, it's from God. So let the Word of God continue to work in you. Meditate on what He's spoken to you here this morning. Take it out and do something with it because you were called for a purpose. And so may God bless you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you may abound 
in every good work. We love you, church. We'll see you next week for Miracle Offering. You're dismissed.